Let's turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll get into chapter number two tonight. The book of Daniel, chapter number two. And in chapter number two, the latter part of chapter number two, we're actually going to get Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this great image. And it's, it's uh, we're not going to get there tonight, but uh, uh, it's probably the most foundational lesson on prophecy that you'll get in the Bible. In fact, H.A. Ironside calls it the ABCs of prophecy. He says, he says it contains the most complete and yes, mo yet most simple prophetic picture that we have in the word of God. And it's interesting to me, and I, and I think I know why, but it's interesting to me that God gave that dream not to Daniel, he gave it to a pagan king. Now, now what was his purpose in doing that? Well, he gave it to, to Daniel so Daniel can interpret it. It's going to get Daniel out of a lot of trouble, but Daniel's also going to write these dreams down and he's going to write these interpretations down and they're going to serve as a prophetic word to, for every generation thereafter. Uh, this was written uh, around uh, 560 B.C., 586 B.C., and, and uh, uh, 580 B.C., and, and uh, we're still, you know, here in the 21st century, we'll be looking at this interpretation uh, beginning next week. Uh, dreams are... Dreams are pretty common things in the Bible, aren't they? I mean, we see, there's several places where we see uh, people giving dreams in the Bible. And, but, but normally when we think of dreams, who do we associate those dreams with? We associate them with, with prophets, not kings. We associate them with prophets. Now, y'all, we know that Pharaoh had his dream. But uh, 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 the dream that we're going we're gonna to see tonight, or we're going to begin to look at tonight, uh, was given to a pagan king, and uh, he wasn't given the interpretation, and, and uh, he's going he's gonna, to you know, look for that interpretation. That's where we're going to be at with it tonight. All right. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. He can give dreams to anybody he wants, anytime he wants. And, and, and he chooses to give it to Nebuchadnezzar, he can give it to Nebuchadnezzar. So, so let's pick up in verse number one of chapter number two, and and let's begin to look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And that causes a little bit of a textual problem because if you go back to, or a little bit of a, a historical problem, because if you go back to chapter one, uh, it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, and, and then Daniel was taken in that captivity, and he had been there three years at the point this dream takes place. So critical, some critical scholars say, well, look, there's an error in the Bible. But historians have shown through uh, historical documents that Nebuchadnezzar actually was not the king of Babylon when he first laid siege to Jerusalem. So when he attacked uh, Jerusalem that first time. Now that he's noted as king in chapter one because he is in the narrative of the entire book. He is the king of, of Babylon. But but uh, when he attacked Jerusalem that first time, his father was still on the throne and he was his father's general. And if you remember, he gets word of, you know, a family death and he goes back to Babylon. 
And, and, and over the process, his father dies. And uh, when we come to the dream, uh, uh, he's in his second year of his reign. So, so you can reconcile the differences there without much problem, but, but uh, just make you aware of that because a lot of people will run to that and say, oh, look, there's another error in the Bible. All right, now let me ask you a question. Who has sent Nebuchadnezzar this dream? Who do you think sent him this dream? Did he just have a dream and then God's going to interpret the dream? No, we know that this is a very specific dream and it was sent to Nebuchadnezzar, no doubt, by the Lord so that Daniel could interpret it. But, but that's not the only reason. God is doing a work, and you're going to see this over the first four or five chapters of the book of Daniel. God is going to do a major work in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. I actually believe, and I think I'm probably in the majority with this, I actually believe that Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. I actually believe he becomes a believer of Jehovah. I mean, he has to become a believer of Jehovah. And I actually believe he, his life is changed and... and um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see old Nebi in, in uh, heaven. But anyway, he has his dream. And this is just God beginning to work in his life. He's beginning to work in Daniel's ministry. And he's beginning to set up this protection for the nation of Israel that's in the Babylonian captivity at this point. All right, now, verses 2 and 3. It says, Then the king came... Then the king gave the command to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. These were the wise men, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now, apparently it was a very detailed dream. It was a startling dream, a troubling dream. And it's stuck in Nebuchadnezzar's memory like no other dream he had ever had before. And he wants to know the interpretation. I mean, all of us have dreams, don't we? Most of the times when we get up in the morning, we don't remember what we dreamed. I mean, we might have a troubling dream and we, don't, we, don't, we, we, we know we're a little bit troubled from that dream, but we don't even remember what we dreamed. But there are times when we get a specific dream. I mean, a dream, I don't know if I have. I don't know if you have, and I'm sure most of you have. But where you get a very specific dream, and, and when you wake up, you remember every detail of that dream, and you more than likely know the interpretation of that dream. I've had four or five, maybe ten, maybe four or five for sure, you know, that I know came from the Lord, and maybe a few more that did too that I wasn't, just, I wasn't smart enough to pick up. But the Lord still speaks in dreams. One of the commentaries that I was looking at and just kind of going over and preparing for this, uh, I won't name the guy's name, DJ, I'll give you his initials, a very conservative, very popular preacher in the United States, he said that God no longer speaks in dreams. He no longer speaks in dreams. And the reason he no longer speaks in dreams, he says, if you have a dream and you think it's from God, it's really not from God. It's probably something you ate the night before. And he says, the reason God no longer speaks in dreams, because we have all we need in the Bible. That's all we need. We have the Bible gives us everything we need for living the Christian life. Well, tell Daniel that. I mean, 
I don't, you could hand Daniel this Bible, other than this narrative right here where the interpretation of the dream is, and you could hand this Bible to Daniel, and Daniel would have died without that dream and that interpretation of that dream, or really the interpretation of the dream. And so I have no doubt that God speaks to us still in dreams. In fact, I, I, I can show you biblically. If you go over to Acts chapter 2, you remember at Pentecost when, when Peter preached that great sermon, and everybody said, what's going on? All these people were speaking in tongues and acting kind of crazy. They thought they were drunk. They were full of the Spirit. And they said, what's going on? Is, are you drunk? I mean, it's only the third hour of the day. Why are all you guys drunk? And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. But this, verse number 16 of chapter 2 of Acts, but this, what you're seeing here is part of the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he tells you he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna go through the church age here, and then he's going to pick up on the end times. The prophecy, that's what the prophecy does. It actually speaks of, it, of the church age. It's one of the few prophecies in the Old Testament that tells us about the church age. And then it also picks up, it tells us how long the church age is going to last. And you can see it's in this apocalyptic stage that Christ will come back. But let me, let me read with you verse number 17. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. One of the last days. And I can show you this over and over again in scripture too. The last days begin when Christ died on that cross and rose from the dead on the third day. That's when the last days begin. We talk, I hear people talk about last days as if it has to be, you know, in the great tribulation. That's not, that's not the biblical uh, last days. The biblical last days begin with the resurrection of Christ and they will end when Christ returns. And so this is what will happen in the last days. It shall come pass in the last days, beginning now, Peter's saying, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men, I guess that's why I'm seeing the dreams, and your old men shall see, well, shall dream dreams. He's really, all three of these things are for all people. Young, what he's saying, young, old, male, female, they'll have dreams and visions and they will prophesy. Look at verse 15. And on my maidservants and on, on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, how long will this go on? Well, it'll go on to I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. That wasn't happening that day at Pentecost. So, so Peter's just quoting that. And then there's a, there's a prophetic line drawn there, a timeline drawn there. And then this, what he's saying is this is going to go on until you see these wonders in the sky and the moon's turned into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord during that time, during that church age and during the great tribulation, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So dreams are important. That's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, dreams are very important. And, and don't, you know, I mean, I, most of the time, I mean, I don't, wouldn't tell you most of my dreams are so weird and crazy and sometimes bad. I wouldn't want to tell you about my dreams. But sometimes I know that God is speaking to me through a dream. He gives me a specific dream. And I'm sure he's done that for some of you in here too. And, and if he hadn't, I, you know, maybe he will. First of all, you've got to believe in it. 
But if you don't believe in tongues, you won't speak in tongues. If you don't believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, you won't receive the gifts of the Spirit. If you're a cessationist, you, you know, for you the gifts have ceased. Doesn't mean you're not saved, but you, you just by your unbelief have blocked the, the giving of the gifts on your part. And so anyway, uh, we, we, we can learn a lot now. If, I mean, if shoot, dreams don't matter, we can't have dreams. I don't know if we even need to look at this part of the, the text, but I believe that God does speak to us in dreams. He speaks to pagans in dreams. He spoke to this pagan king in a dream. And uh, he has purposes in dreams. All right, now verse number four. It says, Then the Chaldeans, the wise man, uh, spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut to pieces, and your houses shall be made as an ash heap. And he wasn't messing around. You didn't trifle with old Nebuchadnezzar. He was very serious about, about if you disobeyed him, about, uh, about killing you. And so, so you didn't want to mess with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what he was asking for had never been done before. I mean, even Joseph, when he interpreted Potiphar's dreams, he was told, when he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, he was told, not Potiphar, he was, he was told the Pharaoh's dreams, wasn't he? He was given the dream, and then he interpreted that dream. All right, so, so uh, this had never been done before. I mean, Joseph uh, was given Pharaoh's dream, uh, and then he sought an interpretation for it, and he was given the interpretation. But what he was asking here had never been done before. I mean, he wanted them not only to, to, to give the interpretation of the dream, he wanted to tell them what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. You understand the impossibility of that? I mean, it, 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 the, 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 the absurdity of that request. Why was he doing that? So he had dealt with these sorcerers and these wise men, and, and uh, you know, they could come up with all sorts of interpretations for dreams, and they could have come up with all sorts of predictions for the future, and, and they could look at the stars and, 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 and predict things, uh, not 100%, but, but uh, they dealt in witchcraft and sorcery and and uh, they had powers from, from uh, probably coming from the devil himself. But, but they, they could do magic. But what he was asking for was something that was totally impossible. And he would, if they could tell him his dream, then he then would know that the interpretation was 100% accurate. Because if they had the power to tell him his dream, then, then uh, certainly the interpretation would be correct. And just to make sure these guys were serious about what they did, uh, he threatened them not only with their lives, but he says, not only will I cut you be cut to pieces, but your houses shall be made an ash heap. So who was he threatening there too? He was threatening their families. And so, but hey, man, look at verse number six, if you can pull this thing off. However, if I tell you the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Man, that was some deal, wasn't it? I mean, that would be like saying, you know, if you 
can win the Powerball tomorrow, or you'll be rich. But if you don't win it, I'm going to cut you to pieces and I'm going to kill your family. I mean, how many people are going to win the Powerball? That's an impossibility. So, so what he was asking for is certainly these guys, they realized, man, there's no way we can do this. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream. And we will give its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. You're, all you're doing is stalling. And, and I'm not going to give you the, the dream. And so you're going to have to give me the dream and its interpretation. In verse number 9, if you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed uh, up until now. In other words, you guys, your prophecies haven't all come true. Your, your reading of the stars hasn't all come true. Uh, your exhortations haven't come true. Therefore, hey, I, I really don't have any need of you guys anyway. Tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And so, uh, obviously, he, if, he, if they could give him the dream, they could give him the interpretation. Then in verse number 10, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or, or wise man, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods. And we don't dwell with the gods. And the gods don't dwell in flesh. They're not human." except for one God. There is one God who dwells in flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get a little peek at the Son of God in just a few chapters here. If you not, not uh, just uh, actually the next chapter, uh, he's going to see one like the Son of Man down in the fairy furnace. He's actually going to see the Son of God. But the Son of God is in the flesh, and he can speak, and uh, he's going to speak to Daniel, and he's going to give Daniel the interpretation to that dream. He's, and ex not only is he going to give him the interpretation, he's going to tell him the dream. So in verse number 12, it says, For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the order goes out. I, I said, you don't trifle with, with Nebuchadnezzar. The order went out, and... Uh, uh, they begin to kill the wise man. And so the decree went out and they began killing the wise man. And it, they came knocking on Daniel's door and they saw Daniel and his companions, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and maybe some other Jewish wise men too. And then with a the counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. Now Arioch is the captain of the king's guard. He was in charge of executing these wise men. But he's not going to execute Daniel right away. I wonder why. You remember this guy, Ashpenaz? What happened with Ashpenaz, the head of the eunuchs? God gave Daniel favor in his eyes. God gave Daniel favor in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. And God's going to give Daniel favor now in Arioch's eyes. Anytime God needs you to have favor. He can put that into someone's heart. I don't care who that is. It can be a pagan king. It could be a, a, a master of the eunuchs. 
It can be the captain of the guard. If you need favor, he can give you favor if it serves his purposes. And so he, he gives uh, Daniel favor in Eric's eyes. And so it says, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of king's guard. He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. He just says, give me some time. Who had gone out to kill those wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, who is the decree? Why is the decree of the king so urgent? I mean, can you just give me some time? And then Arioch's going to tell him something that he probably hadn't told the other wise man. He's going to tell him that, I've been sent to kill you because uh, Nebuchadnezzar is demanding not only that the dream is interpreted, but that the wise man can tell him what he dreamed. And so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. Once he knew why the king was so mad, he goes in. Remember, he had favor from the king. We saw that in the last chapter. So he goes into the king and he asked the king, just give me time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So Daniel's pretty confident at this point. I mean, his back's against the wall. I mean, it's either, it's either I die or God gives me the interpretation. Now, God had other ways to save Daniel. God could have wiped the whole bunch of those Babylonians out if he had wanted to. But he probably wasn't going to operate that way, and Daniel knew that. He's probably going to operate within the situation Daniel was in. And that's the way God normally operates, because who put Daniel in that situation? Who put the Israelites in that situation? Well, you can say they put themselves in that situation, but that was a, a father uh, disciplining his children for 70 years is what that was. The, the, he put the nation of Israel in captivity for 70 years, and, and Daniel was part of that nation, and Daniel was sent there to protect them. And I think Daniel understood that. And so he, he, he knows his back's against the wall, but he knows he serves a mighty God. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's not a bad thing to have your back against the wall. Sometimes it's not a bad, to have no, not a bad thing to have no other option but for God to work. I mean, I love the story of Elijah up on Mount Carmel where he throws the water and, and the, the uh, I mean, I like seven barrels of water on the altar and, and uh, gets it so wet that only God can bring that fire down. No tricks, no, nothing can do that, no, no witchcraft, nothing can bring that fire down but God. And that's, that's where Daniel's at. I mean, Daniel knows that he's got to have a miracle. God's got, got to not only tell him the interpretation, he's got to tell him the dream. Then in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went into it, to his house, and he made the decision known to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Now, there's a good lesson in prayer right there. Two things... Two types of people or two requirements for the people that I want praying for me. I'll give you those two requirements. You find them right here. First of all, that they're godly people. There probably weren't many godly people to call upon in, in Babylon at that time. And so where does Daniel go? 
He goes to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, probably the three most godly guys other than Daniel walking the earth at that time. So one requirement that I want of the people that I want to pray for me is that they're godly people. I mean, unless, I, I, I think God, I, I, I'm not one of these who believe God doesn't hear prayers. Uh, of, I, I believe God hears everything. God sees everything. So, he, so if, if you're not saved, certainly God hears your prayer. But the only prayer he's going to answer is for you to, I, I can't even say that because I know when I was not saved, before I got saved, God answered a lot of my prayers because he knew I would get saved. But, but you're going to have a lot better chance of hearing from God if the prayers are coming from godly men and women. So if you're in trouble, the first thing you want to do is seek out some godly men and women to pray for. You find the most godly person you know and get them to pray for you. But there's another requirement here. What's the other requirement? What else was going on with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that made them worthy prayer partners? They were in the same boat as Daniel was in. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot e easier to pray for somebody when you're struggling with the same thing they're struggling with. And it's a lot harder to pray for somebody when you're not struggling with what they're struggling with. I mean, if I was one of those 12 disciples that followed Jesus around, when I got in the boat and there was a storm in the boat and I began to pray, I I'd want those guys praying with me. I wouldn't call them the guys in the other boats. I would want those guys who were the closest to the Lord to pray with me because we're in the same boat. We're in this boat together. So, hey, when you, when you get into trouble, what you want to do? I mean, I, I guess that's why I'm not big into prayer chains and, and this idea that somehow if we can get, just get so many, you know, the more people we can get praying, the more chances there are that God is going to hear our prayer. Daniel didn't need but himself and three other guys. That's all he looked to. He didn't ask anybody else. He asked three godly men and three guys that were in the same boat he was in to pray with him. And, and he, he was successful in his, in his prayers, and the God answered his prayers. Look at, look at the next verse. He says in verse number 19, Then the secret was revealed. I mean, right away, God answers his prayer. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. That's interesting. Not a dream, but a vision. What was the vision? What do you think the vision was? Anybody got a guess? He saw what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. He was given a vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But his was even more distinct and and specific and real and memorial, uh, easy to remember than, than uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I mean, he saw the vision. He saw the specific vision. He saw this vision of this great image of this giant man, and he had this head of gold, and he had this, uh, his uh, chest and his uh, arms were made of bronze, and his uh, legs were made of uh, iron, and his feet were made of clay, and and iron mixed together. And so he sees that vision. He sees the exact vision. 
I read one commentator who said that he didn't believe that Nebuchadnezzar uh, actually remembered his dream, that he had forgotten his dream and he was just troubled by his dream. I totally disagree with that. I believe Nebuchadnezzar's whole purpose of wanting to know the dream was so that he would know that the interpretation was sure. And so that night, after Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego pray, they're actually given a vision, or Daniel is, he's given a vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It couldn't get any clearer than that. He actually has more insight into that vision than Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream. But I believe Nebuchadnezzar has a good memory of this, and, and that's why he's going to reward Daniel and, and uh, move him up in the hierarchy uh, here after he makes the interpretation. So what does Daniel do? The first thing he does is run out of the house to tell Nebuchadnezzar, right? Now look what he does. So Daniel dropped what he was doing, and he blessed the God of heaven. I think this is one of the uh, I don't know how I want to word it. He writes this psalm, and it's one of the, sometimes psalms are kind of generic and, and uh, general in what they're saying, but this specifically, pray, he specifically, he praises God in a very specific way for what God has done for him in giving him this vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And listen to what it says. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. What's his name? Jehovah, Yahweh, the great I am, the God who never changes. That's a good thing to know. I mean, if he said, if, 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 if God wasn't the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then this really wouldn't be applicable to us because God might have changed since then. But, but God is never changing. He's always the same. He, he's, he's, he, he's the great I am. I am who I am, he said. Yahweh, Jehovah. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. You catch that? He changes the times and the seasons. I mean, he's, he's in charge of the times, and he's in charge of the seasons. I mean, how can God give this interpretation to Daniel of this dream? Because all, look, look at what it says there. For wisdom and might are his. All wisdom and might are his. I mean, in his wisdom, uh, he sees the future. In his wisdom, he con in his, by his might, he controls the future. I mean, there's no wisdom greater than his, so there's no one who can outsmart God. There's no one who has more power than God, so no one can stop the plans of God. So when God gives this vision to Nebuchadnezzar, God knows that it's the future. Not only that, God is omniscient. He sees the future. So he sees all of these kingdoms in, in, in the future, and nothing's going to stop uh, this dream uh, from transpiring. And, and so Daniel praises God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for, for wisdom and might are his. 
And he changes the times. He changes the times. Very simply put, the future's in his hand. That's why he can give this interpretation. The future is in his hand. The times are in his hand. I mean, that's why our calendar says 2015 A.D. And that's why their calendar said 580 B.C. It didn't say it then, but it would say it now. It said we, when we look at it now, that's what it says, before Christ. The times are in God's hands. I mean, he determines the times. He determines whether the times are good or whether the times are bad. He determines how long a dispensation will last. I mean, he determines how long kings will, 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 will be on their throne and how long, and more importantly for us, how long a dispensation lasts, how long the old covenant would last, how long the covenant of the law, how long the Abrahamic covenant would last, how long the new covenant will last. He determines those times. He determines the time of his return. He determines the, the, the church age, the, how long the church age is going to last before those signs we saw in Acts chapter 2 actually take place. He determines how long this earth will exist. He determines how long you and I will exist on this earth. Our days are numbered by the Lord. All time is in his hand. And what does Paul say about time? Buy up. God sees time as a precious, precious thing. Buy up the time. Redeem the time. He controls the seasons. If you've got a problem with, with uh, climate change, then take it up with the Lord. He's the one who controls the seasons. But this I know. It, it, we're not going to go into, uh, uh, not until the end not until the Great Tribulation. We're not going to, this, this climate is going to, this climate might get hot. I mean, it's pretty hot out there today. It might get hotter. It might get colder. It's going to go back and forth because in Genesis, in Genesis after the flood, he says, he says that uh, there will be, the earth will, on the earth, while the earth, as long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So we can trust the Lord for that. But look at what he says next. He says, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. I mean, he's not only in charge of the, the times. He's in charge of the kings who ruled during those times. I mean, every king who has ever ruled on this earth has ruled by the permission, permissive will of God. Every king. Every king, including Barack Obama. If you don't like Barack Obama, take it up with God, just like you can take up climate change with God. Because God is the one who has allowed Barack Obama to be on his throne, if you want to call it a throne. If you like Barack Obama, thank God. But he's the one who puts kings on their thrones. He's the one in charge. I mean, I understand that the devil is the prince of the air, and the devil uh, is the you know, ruler over the princes of this world. And the devil has a lot to do with a lot of the kings that we have. He's a, he, he influences those kings. But who's allowing all of that? God, for his specific plan. And so uh, it's God who can bring up king, bring, raise up kings and bring kings down. It was God who raised up Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel knew that. 
Daniel knew that Nebuchadnezzar was God's arm of judgment on the Israeli people. He understood that. And I think when we understand that, uh, we can be more profitable citizens in the place wherever God has placed us because, because God is the one who's allowed the government uh, that we live under. And, you know, we've been blessed in the United States. How much longer that's going to last? We've been blessed with freedom. We've been blessed with, a, you know, maybe the best, one of the best governments, talking about over the last 200 years, one of the best governmental systems ever. But, but uh, that, that seems to be changing. But even then, who's allowing it to change? God is. So he removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What do you mean by that? He gives wisdom. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Who is wise and who has understanding? I'll tell you who. Those who study his word. Those who believe his truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. And the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. But God is truth. Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is truth. This Word is truth. And if you want to be wise and you want to have understanding about the things in this world, then you've got to be wise in the Word of God. Daniel was wise in the Word of God. Daniel was wise in the things of the world. We saw that in the last chapter. But it's God who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, the understanding of the things of God. And he reveals the deep and secret things. He's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar's dream here. But there's nothing too deep and secret for the Lord that the Lord can't reveal. I mean, the Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. I mean, no matter, whatever we think we do that we think, we think is hidden from God uh, is a big mistake because we can't hide anything from God. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, in the darkness of, in the darkness of a building, but specifically in the, dark, the darkness of our souls. He knows what dwells down in there. He knows those deep, dark thoughts we have. But yet light dwells with him. And what does light do to the, with the darkness? It exposes the darkness. And so really what he's praising God for there is that, that by the light of God, God was able to reveal uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel, to tell him not only the dream but the interpretation of the dream. And he finishes up with this great praise here. He says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You've given me that wisdom and might. And the reason he gave Daniel that wisdom and might because Daniel was seeking the Lord. He was seeking the truth of the Lord. Even in the midst of all this pagan education he had, he was seeking the Lord and he believed the Lord. And he believed the truth of the Lord. And that truth trumped any, any other truth that, or any other uh, things that he was learning in this pagan environment. He says, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, this dream and this interpretation of this dream. I can't be really sure at this point that, uh, that the dream that God showed him is Nebuchadnezzar's dream and that the interpretation is the right interpretation. He's actually going to be blessed too. 
Because he's got the dream and the interpretation. And when his dream matches Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what do you think Daniel's going to think of that interpretation? Same thing Nebuchadnezzar's going to think of it. Man, that's got to be right on. That's got to be 100% accurate, what, what the, the interpretation of this dream. And it is, and we know that from, from history, as we'll see next week when we look at the dream. It says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you, made, you have made known to us the king's demand, the king's dream. You know, a really good lesson on prayer right here. I mean, what a powerful prayer these four guys had to lift up to the Lord. But what was really good about this prayer, or great about this prayer, that invoked an answer from God is that it was a specific prayer. It was a believing prayer. I mean, Daniel had his back against the wall. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had their backs against the wall. It was a matter of life and death. But they believed that the Lord would come through. That's why they were so bold. We'll see later on when they're thrown into the fiery furnace because they knew that their God, you know, they had had their back against the wall once before and God had delivered them. And they knew that he could deliver them again. So, They take the time to ask God or to make a specific request to God and they got a specific answer to help them in a specific situation. You know, I think too, too often our dreams are way too generic, uh, way too general. I, I said our dreams, our prayers are way too general, way too generic. We say things that we, we, we think are pleasing to God because we lift up some flowery words. And then we walk away from our prayers and we don't receive the answers that we're looking for. I think, you know, I think simple prayers like we talked about Sunday, simple prayers, specific prayers, get specific answers. And a born-again believer is a born-again believer. Hey, you're in, better, you're in a better position than Daniel was in because Daniel says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. Now, God is the God of our fathers too, but God is also our father. Now, he was Daniel's, he was Daniel's father too, but in the Old Testament dispensation, people didn't see God as father, but we do. And we know that, hey, we can approach him and, and as our father, and, and then we can watch him work. If, we, if we're serious about prayer and we're serious about uh, lifting up specific prayers and taking the time to, to bring them before the Lord, not a bad idea to find some people in the same boat with you, get them to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for what you're teaching us. Uh, Lord, most of all, we just thank you that, that you are a God who hears prayers. Lord, you, you hear the prayers of your children, and you act on the prayers of your children. And, and Lord, like Daniel, 
And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, Lord, we, we want to be people who, who believe that, that uh, you're a God who answers prayers or specific prayers, prayers that, that uh, we take the time to, to word and, and lift up uh, to, to, to you in a, in, in a way that uh, we're, we're speaking to our Father. You are our Father, and we thank you for that relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. And we'll look at that dream next week. That's where it'll start getting tough.